Welcome to Taking Back Our Corners, the officially unofficial podcast for We Own the City on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about episode five. Uh, Aaron, do we own the city yet? Has it happened? <laughs> Have the police uh, who- taken it back and, and made it uh, as safe as everybody wants to be? Uh, who who does own the city? That's a great, great freaking question. Um, it's another great episode. This did feel like there's a lot of um, reinforcing. Uh, I don't know if this is what you call a three-step Martin reveal uh, to like just make sure everybody everybody's <laughs> on board with what uh-huh. we're talking about here because a lot of things that we've seen with our own eyeballs are now being discovered and documented by federal investigators to just kind of underline, you know, like why these are, you know, but, but, uh, the, I guess the thing that, um, holds the most fascination for me are the things in the margin. Like what are they doing at detective Souter? Because he's Hmm. kind of been one of my shining stars in this constellation of, of shit. And yeah. they, I, I can't tell if he is plagued by the ordinary guilt that you would feel uh, being part of this system who has used and abused people versus, you know, they did leave it a, 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 a ambiguous, like you noted about the money and whether he'd take it. And, and maybe he found a way like, uh, I forget um, uh, who, who the relative new recruit that was trying to find a way between being a dirty cop and being an honest cop. Like ditching twenty thousand dollars and a abandoned was suited that type of guy who like if he hadn't gotten out when he did he might have been part of this investigation or is he mm-hmm. more righteous like I, I want to say he is um, but even then yeah. this episode kind of calls into question of like how you know uh, how can how can you you know not everyone's born in homicide like the old guy said <laughs> right you know. You did your, t- your sh- fair share of uh, jumping out on corners. So, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, the stuff that's most fascinating to me is the political angle and like how you actually get this stuff mm. changed uh, from a systemic point of view. Um, when you have this game of musical chairs we've talked about with politicians coming in and out, commissioners coming in and out. Um, yeah, that stuff continues to be pretty fascinating to me, and and I've. I, I did just the tiniest bit of surface digging, uh, digging past the surface of this and reading some stuff about like Commissioner Davis um, and what he actually did. Uh, because this episode gets us to the tip of that iceberg um, with with his little speech toward the end. And I, I came away with big questions about him and about the show's portrayal of him in particular that maybe we can talk about when we get there because... I have one impression of him from watching this show and maybe like a slightly less rosy impression of him from reading actual statements and actual like things he did in the aftermath of this. Huh? That's interesting. And I, I, I kind of want to talk about that too, because I, I did a little bit of research behind the scenes stuff that they kind of hinted at this episode that I wonder if they're making a larger point um, on. Uh, I will say that this episode, like many, many penultimate Simon Pelicanos uh, projects was written by George Pelicanos and he's got a reputation for for killing folk and <laughs> okay. I got so much stress watching Detective Suter look at that I don't know I mean it, it feels irrational now that it didn't but I was like waiting for like a bullet to come through that window and kill him because secretly he was in on all this and they're trying to silence him or oh, like boy. Uh-huh. You know, I, I kept on waiting for like the guy, the cherry red and palette to get because because he's a through line. He's been in this is, since yeah. I think the second episode. I had to go back and watch it for myself to make sure it's the same guy. It's like, what's mm-hmm. the odds that you got two guys with these cherry metallic uh, mint condition impalas running around Baltimore? Yeah. Um, but yeah, the hat, the David Simon's hatchet man uh, buried his hatchet this episode, <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Uh huh. Yeah, so. it, doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be that kind of show, right? Um, like, there isn't going to be a lot of subterfuge or intentional, like, it, moving of the pieces in that way. It's going to be more just incidental, right? And then, like, oh, priorities aren't aligned with where the city really needs to go. And it's for this or that reason. But, yeah, like, people coming in with guns and forcing the issue doesn't seem like that's the way it's going. Oh, I got to say, I didn't see the ending of Show Me a Hero coming either. 
Do you recall? Because that was a pretty gut punch. Uh, Well, I don't want to spoil it for people who uh, haven't seen it or like Jim maybe can enjoy it a second time. But, uh, (laughs) you know, like sometimes this stuff that's just like, you know, about property values and Mm -hmm. low income housing, like, um, yeah, I said, like one of the things I was thinking is like, is Suter going to eat a gun? You know, I think that's still up in the air. Yeah. For this mm, final episode. So I I don't really know him yet. Yeah, you could have like, um, you know, they, they've laid out a, a lot of human cost here. There's been a lot of human oh, yeah. wreckage, uh, lots of lo- like every time you see these people robbed, you know, there's there's these are lives are destroyed. They, they kind of sh- paint that picture many, many times poetically. Um, but I don't know to underline it. Maybe they need to. Uh, I mean, I don't think they need to, but maybe they feel like they need to, or maybe real life history suggested that, you know, some of these officers involved with this uh, would rather take their lives than, right. than, than, you know, take responsibility. It's pretty. Yeah. I mean, they definitely lay it all out to me with the guy with the Impala, right? Like he's, he's the guy who's saying like, here are some real costs. Um, right. you, you see flashbacks, you know, to, to deaths that were caused. Uh, but even the people who survive, even the people who, yeah, you didn't seem to get that much of, of a that severe of a consequence, end up getting the consequences anyway. Right. Here are the weekly highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Apple TV is releasing a new series based on Blake Crouch's novel Dark Matter. Aaron and I are big fans of his work, so we're picking up the new show on day one. Join us this Wednesday for the preview podcast. The Shogun Limited series might be over, but that doesn't mean our Shogun coverage has to end. We've got the wrap-up podcast releasing this Tuesday, where we'll consider all your feedback and final thoughts on the series. And because we like the show so much, we decided to go all the way back to 1980 to cover the first TV adaptation of the novel. Do what you can to find a copy and join us this Thursday for the first of our four-part podcast on the 1980 Shogun miniseries. And finally, the latest first-run movie, The Fall Guy, features Emily Blunt and Ryan Gosling. He's a stuntman tasked with finding the star of his ex-girlfriend's movie when he suddenly goes missing. Is it a rom-com? Yes. Does that mean I'll automatically hate it? Not if the trailer lives up to its promise. Join us for the podcast on Bald Move Pulp this Thursday night. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. <sighs> well, shall we roll up our sleeves and, and uh, begin diagramming the pain? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, we're going to start off with the federal investigation that takes up the bulk of the episode and we're going to jump right in. I thought it was interesting that you got this montage of snitching, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Rayum is going against G Moto. G Moto is going against Rand. They're both saying that they were the, you know, the, the innocence being led astray. Uh, they're both in the one pointing f- fingers with criminal contacts and whatnot. Um, they're both scoffing at the others press protestations that they're acting pure and brand new uh what'd you what do you make it what's the whole point of this i don't know i'm I'm trying to i'm trying to see where you can lay blame and i mean there's plenty of blame to go around but like you know when you're listening to gondo talk about oh this this jamel jamel guy is like the real problem like once he got back from his suspension and put on the gun force the gun trace task force that was when things really started going downhill. Nothing really illegal was happening before then. I, I find that hard to buy, um, especially knowing that Allers was, you know, the predecessor of Jenkins and basically all that shit was happening under him too. Yeah, why would as, you recruit a crooked cop 
you know like they, they make that right. uh, clear yeah yeah and that's a repeating theme right we've seen that over and over like jenkins himself i think was moved over there because you know he got in trouble or whatever there's a lot of um you mentioned i think earlier in the season about uh when when you saw aller aller's kind of like cutting his own guys out of the deal uh that there's mm-hmm. no thing, no honor among thieves right and yeah. i feel like this shows the other side of it so like not only were they petty fevering from each other but like they also don't have anywhere near the code of silence, though. Oh, 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 muerta, uh, that like the Italian mafia has, or even just your common street mm-hmm. gang, as portrayed in The Wire. Like you, you think of Weebe and the weight that he carried for his gang uh, versus these guys, who it's like you know, or like they sing like canaries, um, and they should know better yeah. as police officers, right? Uh, Oh, yeah, but they're not a team. Like, they make that point, right? Like, we were mm. in it for ourselves at that point. It, it wasn't right. the task force. It was us individually. Whereas even in the, like, it's so funny because, like, as depicted in The Wire, even the street gangs had some kind of esprit de corps. Like, we're from mm-hmm. West Baltimore. We're from East Baltimore. We're from this neighborhood. We represent, and, like, they had rules. Like, you know, you don't go yeah. after people's moms. You don't. You don't start shit on church day. You don't. Like, um, you know, because a lot of that stuff is life or death to them, right? Like you, you fuck up in the wrong way and like, or, or you're just born into this horrible situation and the street gangs could be the thing that lift you out of it. Right. Um, they give you some semblance of family, some place of belonging, some like path out of just utter destitution. The cops here don't have that, right? They're making tons of money. Uh, the only thing they're doing is padding their fucking pockets. And so there is no mm-hmm. like sense of loyalty there. Why would they care about uh, the other guy when that was never the point? Yeah. By that time, your ethics and morality have eroded to some point that they're, yeah, it's just all vestigial. Um, yeah. And you even see that like the rot goes into like Jenkins private life, you know, oh, where he's yeah. this upstanding family man. But uh, G Money says he's just a man at the end of the day. He's getting blowjobs on the regular. He's looking at porn with his dog on his lap while his wife's up. You know, like there's there's the public image. Uh, there's the and then and then there's and it's like almost like the same kind of stupid logic. Like, well, Eaton's not cheating. You know, right. well, st- robbing from a, a, a drug dealer yeah. is not a drug dealer is not. That's not really robbing. And like, what what's this fucker got? Eleven thousand dollars. He must be dirty to like, right. you know, like it, that's a slippery slope to uh, the other point that I think they made that we didn't know maybe before is they directly implicate the deputy commissioner. Oh, this right. Paul Mir guy uh, mm-hmm. that and then there's also like before I get to that, there's also this kind of like continuum that they show in this episode, I think they're kind of like showing like the continuum of cop morality from guys like K stop who are like, fuck mm-hmm. no, if you carried bad, you do not do shit like this to guys like Suter who are not on the take, but maybe they look the other way to again, I forget the new guy on the, the GTTF that took the money, but couldn't keep it because it, uh, the, the sell it is conscious to the guys who gleefully take the money to the guys who gleefully take the money and use their information to settle gang. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like this is this, this random guys and all that stuff. Yeah. And the, to the guys who are like, yeah, so yeah, that they are, they're actually drug dealers themselves. And I thought this is interesting with this Paul mirror that um, this Ram guy had killed three people and they strongly implicated that not these were not like killings for like out of fit of anger or accidental. These were hits. Mm-hmm. And this Paul Mir, this deputy who becomes the deputy commissioner and who's kind of like the boat anchor against, you know, the, the tide of change is coaching Ram on what to say. Cause this guy's like, he just shot this guy in his Lexus and there's no guns. There's no drugs. And what's, what I thought was interesting is they pan way out and you don't actually hear the conversation. Yeah. Because we already know what's being said. We, we've already <laughs> sure. seen it enough that we know exactly the shit that's rolling out of this guy's mouth. And we know exactly what the other guy's taken from it. And we know that it's going to be case closed. This Lexus guy tried to run me over. I was fear for my life. Mm hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, also, I thought it was funny that at that point, um, you know, Ram is just like going on the stream of consciousness conversation about all these crimes he's committed. And at one point, he looks over to his lawyer and is like, "Fuck, am I paying you five hundred dollars an hour for?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, sit here and watch me. Yeah. 
Um, I thought so. There's a couple other things that are interesting in terms of how they sagged from one scene to the other. Um, there's so so G uh, uh, Gondo is making this protestation that like the Gun Trace Task Force wasn't really all that corrupt until Rain got here. Um, and then the the federal investigator Jenkins says it's hard to believe that Ram had all this shit on him, and when he comes off suspension, they put him in some elite squad. And then uh, the her partner says, "I guess cream rises to the crop," and they smash cut to Detective Sean Suter and hmm. Homicide, which is also seen as an elite department within the 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 the, the department. Yeah. Is Simon Pelicanos foreshadowing a little bit here. Uh, maybe it's possible. We still just don't have that final piece of the puzzle with him. Yeah. Um, and then there's another interesting smash cut where we go from Nicole Steele and this, this Mr. Otis who owns the cherry Impala eloquently explaining how he got fucked over by the department. And then they smash cut to Ram like theatrical sighing, you know, because he's like had enough of testifying about himself, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I thought that was uh, that was interesting because, like, again, the, uh, the the juxtaposition of these people who are suffering versus these people who have essentially made themselves rich yeah. uh, off this suffering and are like kind of in disbelief that it's coming to an end. But the other real bombshell revelation is they all knew it was coming to an end. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. They knew about the investigation and they're just making hay while the sun shines essentially. And yeah, that's wild to me. Uh, that you I, could be so close and, th- and think that you are going to be immune to this, even though you're doing the same things that the other guys who are being actively investigated are doing. And I wonder why, because they were in active disbelief. It's like, look, this ain't this isn't Escobar shit. This is police work, right? Like, uh-huh. and and there, it reminds me of the time where I forget who it was, whether it's Ram or Gimoto or somebody that um, remember they they made a point of uh, the officer, the sergeant in charge, was at the scene and he saw them doing some shady shit and he reported it. I think it was made about Jenkins. And the FBI followed out. It's like, actually, you guys came by like five years ago when I made that complaint. And and it was like all cloak and dagger clandestine and just went away. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to make a point that these guys did have very high level protection. Um, yeah. And I don't know if this is something that Simon and Pelicanos can know and prove. And it's like out in court or it's just something they're alleging. But it seems mm-hmm. like. These guys, yeah, it might come to an end and that we have to stop it. But the idea that they were going to be federally charged or brought to account for any of this seemed like there, there's no way you act like this if you think that's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, the, the pattern of being insulated from the consequences of these uh, slip ups, I think, is what emboldens them for sure. Yeah. Uh, there's an interesting scene where Allers brought his kid. Oh, dude. To- yeah. Yeah, and, like, that's the other thing is, like, there's a little bit of an implication that maybe they got a little too greedy and they were going after, like, some of these people had nice houses. And especially that last guy who maintained that he got rich off of essentially fixing up cars and, you know, like, buying junk cars, fixing them up and selling them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the the I, I wonder how much of it just got to, like, you know... It's one thing if you're banging on drug dealers and whatnot, although I've got my feelings on that. But like you're starting to move into solid citizen territory. These people have Mm -hmm. friends who are lawyers, friends who are on the city council, friends who can like make a squawk and like, what the fuck are you doing? Stealing a hundred three hundred thousand dollars from my friend or my neighbor or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The other thing that got me is like how much of. The case of them actually abusing citizens doesn't seem all that strong because nobody or hardly anybody wants to testify to it because even snitching on cops is still seen as snitching in, in, in the, uh, the, the the culture here. Um, mm-hmm. But they're going to get them on Al Capone shit, wire fraud yeah. and tax evasion because not only are they stealing <laughs> so much money from the city, but they're also not declaring it as income and they're being brazen. Like collecting time and a half, double time while they're in Aruba or on Myrtle Beach on vacation. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Yeah, then the racketeering stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, there's also a really interesting scene I thought where they had uh, uh, Gmoto and and Ram talking to each other about how off the hook Jenkins was. You remember that scene? It's like the um, Budweiser "What's up?" only with off the off the, the how, oh, how Jinx yeah. is off the hook. He's off the hook. B sure, yeah. And and Ram <laughs> is sitting in front of a decommissioned phone booth talking on a cell phone. I thought it was like a little nod to like how much has changed since the wires time where they were running <laughs> pagers and payphone scams. And Se- uh, seems lazy. Yeah. 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 And all the while the feds are listening in just like exactly you know, count counting their cases against these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think. Oh, there's also that like the other is in terms of brazenness. Um, we hadn't seen before is Jenkins posing as a U.S. attorney. Oh, which is hilarious. The height of comedy here. This guy does not look, sound, or smell like a U.S. attorney. <laughs> I think this dude knows it. Yeah, and I I wondered like I know that cops can lie to you in an investigation, but I don't think like this. I think cops can lie about what they know, what evidence they have against you, but you cannot represent that you are a U.S. attorney or a federal judge or an FBI agent and not get fucked, I think. Uh, I I would assume, I would hope (laughs) that that's true. Yeah. Um, There's also, I thought, an interesting scene where they're shaking down the guy at the real nice house and they showed like how much like these guys are like piranhas. Like I'm taking thirty five hundred off his roll. We fucked up and let uh, Herschel uh, alone in a closet for too long. He probably took 50K off of it. Uh, You know, like it's it's this this this, again, this uh, house divided can't stand. And the. The way that Jenkins is working this guy, I, again, I, I can't recommend season three of uh, Serial Podcast enough because if you thought it's disgusting the way that Jenkins is trying to get under this guy's skin, it's like, oh, this is, you got a nice crib here, right? That's what you call it, right? A crib? And like get sidled up and put his arm around you. If you think it's bad enough for like some rando uh, plainclothes police officer to do that in Baltimore City, you will hear a judge do that to people in his courtroom will will taunt hmm. them with ebonics and uh, fatherlessness rates among black people and their education status and their family history to try to get these young men to do what he wants them to do, which is jump at him and be like, fuck you and fuck. And so he can he can imperiously just have him taken away. Um, right. It's really uniquely disgusting to bully and pick on someone to get provoke a reaction to this guy's credit he doesn't give them what they want this guy's got yeah. the fucking patience of job but <laughs> it's such an easy thing to do to take people who are already like you, you take especially a guy you know a, a drug dealer a low-level drug dealer that's been through the ringer you can probably get them to go from zero to 100 in no time flat especially yeah. if you're a judge you know like it's it's yeah, i mean this guy's been through the ringer but it seems like he's come out the other side uh I won't say no worse for wear, but certainly uh, done done something uh, productive and lucrative. Um, and that's the thing too, right? It's not just like, oh, he's trying to get under his skin. I think there's an implied threat at the end of this scene when Jenkins is talking to him and saying, you know, one day we're going to come out here and find 15 keys of Coke or something out in your back lawn. Uh, I think that's a threat saying we're going to put that there and we're going to get you. I think you're right. Did you get the impression that Jenkins was being straight about this guy's record? Because I, I would buy this guy's an ex-con, uh-huh. did five, six years for some kind of possession or trafficking, and then, you know, came out, got legit. But also, I could bet that Jenkins is just fucking with them and sitting there with an empty manila folder trying, you know, <laughs> like just convince this guy's dirty and he's got, you know, and trying to see what this guy will 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 blurt out. I don't know. I thought it was real because, like, the dude would know if he's been to prison and has convictions about his drug deals. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Cause like, I also seen those, like what people will confess to when the cops mm-hmm. really put him to it, you know? And like, maybe, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I also thought it was really interesting. That scene of Jenkins getting the blowy. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that that high rise looking over the harbor is exactly like is it might be the exact development or it's one just like him or Stringer Bell and uh, 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 
uh, and Avon Barksdale were congratulating each other about like being kings of the city, like making all these real estate deals. Huh. Like it's another little kind of subtle nod to how things have changed that now like the cops are enjoying the fruits of this ill rotten, mm-hmm. late, you know, uh, whatever. Um, I don't know. Like, what'd you make of the whole the case stop? Other than the show, like this is the show's like not all cops kind of. Yeah, um, and showing you know that they have a way of weeding out the people who aren't going to play ball. Um, Yeah, that's the the number one thing for me. It's the opposite of bad apple spoiling the bunch. It's like this is a good apple. The bad apples mm-hmm. identified him, and they they will punish him. And the way they did it was yeah. so crafty because they could straight face say, "Oh, uh-huh. we're just testing him before we're going to you know bring him into the inner circle." Right. Yeah, and you were you were motherfucker. Uh-huh. <laughs> just not the way you would hope. Yeah, I was just also thinking like, man, if any of these guys wore a wire, they would be so fucked. These guys mm-hmm. are so just not prepared for any kind of scrutiny. They, and you can tell like you know like I think the Fed saying being amazed initially and I kind of was too about how brazen these guys are being speaking on the phone speaking to criminals kind of half ass like oh, I should, probably shouldn't be talking to you but fuck it who cares yeah five episodes in I know exactly why they're acting that way uh-huh um there's also a scene where they're talking about how much more to continue this investigation because you can always build your case Mm-hmm. But you can also spook the cl- the person. They can start, you know, like a, you, you, you get the diminishing returns and they're going to go ahead and bring it out. And the, the U.S. attorney says that his boss wants to be in on the photo op because he's about to go big in the Trump administration. And uh, this is going to be a nice send off from him. Do you know who they're talking about? Uh, no, I don't. Is this is sessions? Rod Rosenstein, who oh, will be the right. chief chief de- or deputy attorney general underneath Jeff Sessions for okay. Donald Trump. Um, and he authored the memo that enabled President Trump to dismiss FBI director James Comey. Ah. Uh, he also wrote a memo to the five U.S. attorneys and districts along the border of Mexico that essentially gave the green light for child separation policy that okay. eventually essentially orphaned thousands of children on the border uh, but he's also the guy who, when Trump dismissed Jeff Sessions uh, and he became the acting attorney general, appointed Robert Mueller to the probe into the various, you know, misdealings of the Trump administration, which, of mm. course, we all know ended up in multiple convictions and uh, really mm-hmm. brought everyone uh, uh, accountable. I, I wonder... I'm looking at threads here and I'm wondering if Simon is going to make some kind of implied connection between how high this corruption goes, because it seems like the show's perspective was once Trump got in consent decrees and like this concerns over law and order and putting some kind of restrictions on police are going to go out the window. Do you Mm -hmm. think he's going to make that case in next next episode? Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm reading this, this book currently called makers and takers which is about uh our financial institutions in america and um and and i I see a lot of patterns that also apply here in in the law enforcement arenas um yeah the the stuff where like it, it may not even be that they're complicit entirely in any intentional wrongdoing it might simply be that they are trusting sources that are viewed as authorities on the situation or on the matters at hand mm. and those authorities are more self-serving than we would like them to be uh and that's where like you can get into trouble even if the people who are high up and have the authority to change things want to change things even in those scenarios you can just get bad advice you can get you can get pointed in the wrong direction by people who have their own interest at heart. So like self-serving, I'm a little bit, I'm, I'm a little bit ready to like, say uh, I'm more sympathetic and forgiving of those people. Um, even if they ultimately make bad choices, but at the same time, like you gotta, you gotta cut the, the, the bad bits out. Right. And I, I don't know how you do that when the people who you're getting advice from are giving you bad advice. Especially when the rot goes all the way up to at least the assistant deputy commissioner of the city. 
like the second oh, yeah. biggest and, cop. And Allers, like what, got promoted to the DOJ, right? So like right. all these people are going up and up and going up. Federal. So I, I do think like, to your point, they are going to make some noise about like how high this corruption goes. I just wonder like if they're also going to make the point that corruption at these levels can not directly, but more indirectly create very bad policy and very bad outcomes. Right. And to the other point is uh, if you think that's like, Oh, this is like something that, uh, you know, that he's going to tie to Trump and then that's that. Like, I think David Simon would say that there's plenty of corruption within and enabled by the Biden administration. There is interesting oh, note sure. that like, Nicole Steele, the civil rights attorney, was not like thought it was going to be a sure thing to get this consent decree passed under Hillary Clinton's regime. Mm-hmm. You know, like this, this, you know, the wire came out 20 years ago. There's been Republican administrations. There's been Democratic administrations. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I would find it hard to believe there's been a Republican administration running Baltimore in that time. And yeah. yet these problems persist. And, and we're going to in the next scene, because we pretty much are done with this, going to talk about Nicole Steele's uh, investigation, separate investigation here in a minute. But like, yeah, the, the politics of this stuff is fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. Then we get the class, you know, we finally get the see our version of Davis give the, you know, these cops are acting like 1930s gangsters. Uh, his decision to disband the plainclothes uh, department's been causing this stuff and the dismantling the VCID, which is the Violent Crime Investigation Department. And we saw, um, like, there's, apparently there's stuff just like the Gun ta- Trace Task Force running all over Baltimore because they were making these motivational posters about, you know, that they're the strike fear in the heart of loiterers everywhere. And it's kind of, it reminded me a lot of, um, in the wake of the last floor, uh, George Floyd stuff, the last, and, and, and um, Breonna mm-hmm. Taylor, uh, and Jesus Christ, just got another fucking psycho shooting up uh, a bunch of people in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. But I get the cop. Have you you heard about these challenge coins? I mean, I know what challenge coins are. What what in so these police that are part of these things like they issue challenge coins with like officers where <laughs> with batons with like Punisher skulls with cities in flames talking about how much they want people's asses. And there was, I think a challenge coin issued after Freddie gray amongst the officers involved at that. That was kind of like some kind of rough riders joke about how how much they beat the shit out of people in the back of their meat wagons and hmm. um there was a one that like for the, this has nothing to do with the the domestic policing but the the border patrol issued a challenge coin that depicted a whole bunch of people coming from a place uh with a honduran flag and it said you know keep the caravans coming with the implication that they enjoy beating the you know harassing and beating the shit out of these people it's like these posters and this like this 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 warrior cop mentality has infested everything from top to fucking bottom and when when activists say how do you reform this because it's all about police reform police reform police reform Mm -hmm. i think that's what they're meaning because like that mentality, no piece of paper, no official policy will address the fact that you are at war with a population. And that's the thing, right? This episode is implicitly, uh, explicitly even, uh, tying it to the war on drugs, which we, yes. we see a cop say, what a stupid fucking thing that is to say. Yes. Uh, and it also, th- this is the part where like reading about commissioner davis and and what he actually said during this because they cut him off uh the scene cuts him off when he says like okay we're gonna we're gonna do away with the vcid we're going to take all these plain clothes officers and put them in uniforms what it doesn't say is that essentially like he got behind the quote-unquote proactive policing Mm -hmm. uh that was was being done up to then and and said we're not going to stop any of that like right. we're just going to put the people who are doing this shit into uniforms. They didn't give a fuck. Like you saw Jenkins in a uniform, you saw Herschel yeah. in, Herschel in a uniform. Like those guys were in or out of a uniform, they will do what they're doing. And if you continue yes. the policy of proactive policing as they call it, which is which is what we've seen throughout the entirety of the show, mm-hmm. it nothing is going to change whether whether they're wearing blue uniforms or blue jeans. 
Yeah, the center of that press conference is we everybody we have found the bad apples and uh-huh. we are getting them out of the barrel. And the rest of them that were teetering on that edge, we're putting them into back in the basic blues, and it's going to be all right. Yeah. Uh, so I come down on like Davis is thinking, okay, well he's sympathetic, he's open to these consent decrees, things like that. But when it comes to actually making the change, he's putting a band aid over. He it's it's not even a band aid because it doesn't solve any problems really. All it does is is puts the the problems in a uniform. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R. R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Yeah. How does that help? 
Uh, damned if I know. Uh, let's move to Department of Justice, criminal, uh, or not criminal, civil rights lawyer, Nicole Steele. And she is reviewing some of the language of this consent decree that they're uh, going to put onto Baltimore. And she's reviewing it with uh, Ahmed. And uh, he points out, rightly so, that half of the country sees these cops as doing nothing wrong because they're of the mind of like, well, these people are getting stopped. Maybe they didn't have anything on them that day, but it's that corollary of like the, the cops only have to be lucky once the criminals got to be lucky multiple times. It's like the, the, the presumption of a lot of white America is, well, these people wouldn't be stopped if they weren't doing something shady and suspicious. And they got lucky that day. They're guilty Um, of something. And, and you know, the episode, it turns out this is partially true, right? Like the the taillight was out on this guy's car. Sure. Uh, he had been smoking weed. like Or been around. Yeah, sure. Been around it. Yeah. Yeah. But like, does that mean they deserve to be falsely arrested and harassed and, and potentially beaten and abused? Um, and the conditions. Of course not. Yeah. And the conditions. And, and, and Nicole's pushing back against that and saying, but like. Yeah, you might think that. And also, drug dealers have rights, too. Uh, mm-hmm. But also, we've seen a lot of people who don't have anything except for maybe traffic violations or a marijuana charge. And if you want to throw out the marijuana charge, like, OK, but like the fine for not having a brake light is probably 75 bucks or something. Right. This this guy got a paycheck stolen, lost mm-hmm. his job, having his car repossessed, like can't get and that's, another job. Yeah. Yeah, like if if that was the penalty for mm-hmm. having a taillight, we would be living in some kind of totalitarian police state. Right. But if you're poor, and especially if you're black or brown, that is the penalty. And yeah. w- they are living in that police state. Uh yeah. I think is what this fucking show is trying to scream at us. And the big um, question I come away with when, you know, he uh this other attorney, I don't know his name, uh, the one that's Abed. working with Nicole Abed. Uh, he, he says, you know, that a white America sees them as guilty of something. And, yes. it, and it just makes me think, like, what why does public opinion matter to Nicole Steele's investigation? Is it because she has to get this through the gauntlet of the mayor and the gauntlet of, yeah, of course. the unions and, and things like that? Is that why? It's just like why it's important for prosecutors to not overcharge and grandstand. Like if you grandstand before the public and, you know, that's what you're really when you're trying to get political people to do anything. It's essentially how much capital they have and what capital they have is how popular they are. At the, if, if they start doing shit that like even average people are like, well, this is ri- ridiculous. They're not going to get anywhere and they're going to get like shit. I guess a, I guess that's the old argument is shitty reform better than no reform. Is it better sure, to sure. try to make things a little bit better or try to accelerate the bad things until they're so bad and it smells so terrible that everyone right. notices like I, and I fucking don't know. I I tend to be a harm reductionist type of guy myself. But yeah, the, the, the latter doesn't seem to work because everybody's pointing a finger at everybody else right everybody acknowledges that it sucks and it's bad and and yeah none of this is good but they're pointing at the finger in all some some in the right directions most in the wrong directions and i i don't know so like i find it hard to imagine that most people in or or, you know this mythical 50 percent the the white people in baltimore think that these people did something wrong right i and that's the thing is so so the mayor of Baltimore should be concerned with the public opinion in Baltimore, I would think. Yeah. And that yeah. should be the thing that Nicole should be worried about. But it seems like the way that these these political tracks go is they're not just concerned about where they are now. They're concerned about where they're going to be tomorrow. And so yeah. if this mayor of Baltimore is shooting for a larger spotlight. And in a, a career-making tenure as mayor of Baltimore, she's not going to be concerned necessarily with just what the people in Baltimore think, but what the mm-hmm. country at large thinks. And that's and where you kind of get the stopper of the public opinion of of the right. backwoods idiots who think that like they deserved it. And don't forget, this is also a federal process. This is the consent decree is being put on them because, again, policing is a local and a state matter. Feds stay the fuck out of it. Like they have to be invited and there has to be like, what is the administration going to support? Which is why they're kind of even him on about like, you know, what the Clinton administration will do. Uh, 
But anyway, she pulls out this shining example of a person that got worked out of the, uh, the system or got worked by the system. And it happens to be James Otis. Now, James Otis, you'll recognize as being the man with the cherry, the metallic cherry Impala, the 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 uh, what he called. He said it's the fa- it's the father's com- Corvette or, or the family man's Corvette. Uh-huh. Uh, and you'll see. So you saw him being skeptical when um, uh, 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 Detective Suter went to talk to him. And I don't know if that's before or after the Jenkins business. I think before. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of illustrating of like, you know, this guy's maybe on the 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 cusp of giving information and then the cops are going to fuck him over. He's also the guy that got a front row seat to Wayne Jenkins Day last mm-hmm. episode. Um, and this is a sad ass story that's about to be told. He talks this, about this is one of those guys that's been hassled by the cops like 10, 12 times, right? That they're talking yes. about. This and he's him. mentioned even before the taillight that Herschel had been pulling him over probably because he's got a flashy car. And here's the thing. Yeah. Poor people are allowed to have nice things, goddammit. This guy's got three kids he's taken care of, got a house, a roof over their head. You don't know. He could have gotten this from the junkyard, done all the work himself, saved up. Like, you're mm-hmm. allowed to have a few nice things when you're poor in this country. Last time I checked. And what mm-hmm. makes it extra devastating is when that's taken from you. Yeah. Yeah. All Because uh, I, I don't know what it's like to be black in this country, but I've been poor a time or two. Sure. And I remember having, like, being very proud of the the system that I had and my shitty Tercel when I was living on the the near west side of Indianapolis and how I felt the day I went out saw my windows smashed out and the speakers were gone hmm. the six disc changer was gone and knowing that I couldn't re- I couldn't replace that in another year of working and saving up yeah like and it went it wasn't a cherry fucking Impala either mm-hmm. so I know like goddamn this is some heinous shit. Um, and then you get to see the whole routine. The fact that it all starts with a broken taillight. The fact that this guy's been mm-hmm. pulled over a bunch of times by the same guy. He chest bumps him for for chirping. Now he's in cuffs. Now he's getting his shit searched. Uh, nothing in the ride was found, but the guy stole his entire pay- paycheck, $658. Every dollar of that was already apportioned for rent and food and, and keeping the lights on, all that stuff. Uh he got down to the they, they showed him in, in 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 jail. He's stuffed in a cell made obviously for two people. And there's three people. I wonder how they slept. Did they sleep in shifts? Did he just not sleep that night? Yeah. Um, the uh, state the, the 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 city attorney gives him that fucking paper deal where he signs off uh, the ability to sue for getting his charges dropped right now. Goes to his boss the next day. He missed a bunch of calls. A bunch of client. A bunch of customers quit. He's getting fired. Now his car's being repossessed. If he can get a fucking another job, how's he going to get to it? Uh, and it's just a big fucking problem. Uh, be- yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I feel this like is we, we exactly, talked about this exactly. Yeah, we did. We talked about exactly this, right? This chain reaction. It's not a mystery what happens to people who are living right on the ragged edge and have something go wrong. Like a lot of people in this country are. the This particular area of the country i imagine more so than some yeah. others yeah. and yeah you see this dude who just has one one bad day and it cascades it's amazing how many people have criminal records in this country just because they can't pay a fine yeah like you you got you got dinged for a taillight or speeding and it's 150 dollars. i don't have the 150 dollars find you in contempt uh, you pay late, turns into 250. If I get a contempt charge, they, you know, you get a bench mm-hmm. warrant. Now you're in jail till you could like, it's like, I don't know, man. I feel like sometimes is like, we are so close to just bringing back old debtors prisons where yeah, it's like, if you, that? if it's illegal to be fucking broke, right? No, it kind of can be, uh, if you find yourself in the wrong situation for sure. What was that documentary we watched years ago, um, about the prison system, and and was it the house I grew up just, in? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that was had a good like one. A lot There's of another like about that. It wasn't like the thir- the Fourteenth Amendment. Another one, or maybe the Thirteenth Amendment. Um, maybe I don't remember that one. Th- that's kind of like yeah. Um, but yeah, there, this information has been out there. Yeah. Uh, for and that's what's like as frustrating as I find it because like I feel like I've kind of like woke up to this shit about 10 years ago like George Pelicanos and David mm-hmm. Simon like are 10 years 30 years 35 years more pissed off and then you've got the people actually living in these conditions right 
and you can see it you can see like uh, you know the effect it has on the population uh so nicole and ahmed are looking at the consent decree and it's pretty cut and dry like there is a history of unconstitutional stops and seizures by the way disproportionately falling on the shoulders of black citizens in baltimore due to the historic and legacy systemic and institutional failings of the baltimore police department but they got to get it signed and they got to get it signed before the inauguration because who the, uh, of the president because who the hell knows is go- who's going to take over they assume it's going to be hillary at this point but who knows <laughs> And they need to hit this right up the day that the new mayor comes in so they can get her committed before she gets a whole bunch of the mouths in her ear. We'll see how that goes. Um, She then goes to talk to Mr. Grabler. And this is another kind of like, this is a great scene. This is the cop who is trying to teach the Wayne Jenkins of the world how to do good, honest police work, respecting people's fourth, fifth and sixth amendment rights and how angry he is about it and how the drugs have ruined everything, uh, waging war against citizens. Um, this led to the complete gutting of the Fourth Amendment and how like, and you know, it's, and it's not that the drugs ahead. have ruined everything, right? It's, he specifically says the war on drugs and that that concept has ruined policing. Yeah, and how you can't even blame the cops because ultimately the cops are doing the will of the politicians and God love the politicians. They they sure love being tough on crime. They love their zero tolerances. And he talks about how like all this community policing, this proactive policing has led to you can't enjoy a beer in your stoop. You can't mm-hmm. loiter. You can't spit on a sidewalk, which is essentially legislating existence. Like if yeah. you can't loiter, what loiter just means standing around being somewhere. Yeah. If you can't stand around on the corner of your neighborhood, then what the fuck kind of society do we live in? And yeah, uh, yeah and, they, and, and, you know, he says the politicians are to blame because of, you know, that that ultimately uh, voting cycle. But but I think, you know, it, it can extend even farther to the, the citizenry as well. I don't I think about to make that point. We are without blame there um, because the politicians care to some degree, at least, what the people care about. Yes. Um, because that is what gets them elected, if they can say the right things to the right people. And we do not afford the people who are in power, who want to do the right thing, the opportunity to do the right thing, the opportunity to see results from those things, uh, because we're so eager to just get it done right now. Make, make the one change that will fix all of this. And it's not that simple. Uh, get zero tolerance policies. Yes, you you hear about armed robberies and rapes and murders and all kinds of things, and you want that zero tolerance. I get it. But also, is is going out on the street and busting heads the way to get that down to, to get to get the crime rate actually down to zero, or is it the way to paper over it? And it seems like from this guy's perspective and from the show's perspective, it's definitely this is just juking the stats 2.0. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, and he leaves her with with the question, "Are you angry?" And I, I'm second still time she's been asked to, this, by the way, it, the right? Show. And I'm still trying to read her because it, it, she, the more she sees and the more she understands the problem here, I think the angrier she is getting. But also, I wonder if she came into this a bit angry with the story she tells about her brother. I have to imagine that would have pissed her off a bit, and and continues to, but she well, doesn't show that at the beginning, certainly. When 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 her and Ahmed start talking about and like it's pretty clear that they're middle class black folk yeah. who have been able to their parents have been able to help them go through college and get the, and it's one of the reasons they're in these high profile hard charging uh, you know justice careers and the living in Bethesda and I'm like oh the reason she's not as angry is because you know the the you know because like. I think of all the privileges in America, like wealth and attractiveness are probably the two jockeying for the two most important ones. Yeah. Uh, and it can paper over a lot of a lot of other problems you might have. And I'm like wondering if like, well, she just out of touch. But when she goes and tells a story of how like, well, yeah, you know, my sisters and I didn't experience a lot of this. But my brother, who's not like he's a tile layer, but like an artistic one. He's like doing high end shit, you know, like my mm-hmm. uncle does this stuff for like uh, hotels and casinos and stuff. Uh, and he stands around. He's wearing, you know, he's got his locks in and he's wearing like, you know, uh, jeans and a hoodie, like construction work. And he's in outside his own father's house. These people 
uh, uh, these cops hassle him because they don't see him as a Bethesda kid. They see him as a racial slur. Yeah. To the point where, like, this these these cops who are hassling this guy is ordering their own father back into their house and making up lies and saying, like, all this. Other. So, like, I think clearly she's angry, but she's also trying to keep, like, some kind of focus on it because... Nobody wants to listen to a even justifiably angry black person in this country. No one really wants to listen to black yeah. people, period. But right. if they're fucking angry and saying crazy shit, then pff, that volume goes down to zero. You turn the channel. Hmm. And like she doesn't have the luxury. What God, who who fucking just said that about Oh, it was in the boys last season. John Giancarlo Esposito when he's talking oh, yeah. about like why is he so buttoned down? It's like I don't have the white man's luxury of being angry and mm-hmm. acting out because yeah. So it's like, I felt like I knew her a lot better after this episode. And yeah. I liked that they included that. Like, even if you are like a wealthy black person, you are still at the end of the day black. And if you decide had the temerity to take your Lexus down to the corner and your sweatpants and your t-shirt, like I roll out of bed every fucking Saturday morning, to, uh-huh. you're at risk because all the cops are going to see you a certain way. No mm-hmm. matter what. And that just doesn't apply to a lot of the rest of us. Uh, so they're, they're, they're prepping their arg- um, they're prepping their arguments uh, about who's going to support them, who's not going to. They go into this meeting with the newly uh, crowned mayor. And right off the bat, there is the resistance you expect from the old rich white guy who represents the developers saying it's going to cost a bunch of money. We shouldn't rush into it. Uh, and also the nice black lady in the mayor's ear saying, you know what? Maybe we need to pay for these, but these are expensive and we don't want it to come at the cost of our social programs that benefit the youth. And this needs to come out of the police department. And you see Davis there grimace because as we talked in other episodes, these aren't free things like these reforms don't save money. They cost money. And, I imagine the the Baltimore police budget is not a wash in cash. So how the fuck is he going to implement this stuff if the city is not going to help out? This is like a, this scene to me and, and everything surrounding it is like a, a missed connections on Craigslist, Craigslist or something. Because you've got mm, mm. you've got the consent decree that they're trying to develop and get in place here, and you got the federal investigation of these dirty cops. And these two things are in living in isolation right now. And if they weren't, you could put them together and see the full picture of where the money for this shit comes from. This overtime budget, this endless mm. pool of money going to dirty cops who are clocking in from from Miami or whatever, uh, just milking it and, and taking millions of dollars out of the police budget. Take that money. Get rid of some of these guys who are doing this stuff. Take that money. Hire more cops. Cover the cost of the consent decrees. All of this could be solved, but I don't think they know. I don't think they have the pieces of that puzzle on the same table at this point. And that's the wedge, right? You know, like I can see from the mayor and her perspective, like, why would we take off money from the city and the, you know, these programs benefiting youth and all this stuff when to help these crooked cops? You can see from the cops perspective, why are we going to, you know, cut back on our retirement? Like it just revealed everyone at this table is fundamentally unserious about solving the problem because you're right. Yeah, yeah. You'd have to dig deep. There'd be some pain points. But Davis could do a lot of this shit without any help. Uh-huh. But also the mayor could probably I, I bet. There's a buck or two not going right to underprivileged young black men that sure. maybe go into the pockets of this this other guy that's talking about developments and how much is like yeah, uh, how many tax uh, dollars are you giving to to businesses to come in here and, and and building fucking stadiums for professional sports teams and shit like that. I bet there's some money that you could find for these needed perform the, the that's going to keep one out of six of your fucking citizens from being arrested <laughs> unjustly a year, right? I bet you could, but nobody's gonna. I mean, yeah. maybe, maybe. I don't know. Maybe, like I said, maybe I, I don't. I don't know exactly the end of this show. Maybe Baltimore's a paradise sure. by now. Uh, after <laughs> after four years of these reforms, that the Davis is just. Uh, uh, well, just, I you, know they replaced Davis uh, at at some point in the interim between then. Okay, and now, so I'm I'm wondering because like we we 
they fired him what year a few did uh 2019 so like a year after this like a year after a year the into the uh-huh. the mayor and so he will be the fifth the the, the, the commissioner in 10 years because they talked like about that, being yeah. four uh which is uh, that's the other problems like oh it's a management problem well shit you guys are the ones hiring the managers like you got a revolving <laughs> right. door manager well then guess who the where the problem is you're the man um yeah. what did you you mentioned that you read something that you found illuminating about this guy because i find him hard to read too Oh, yeah, uh, it was it was the I, way he addressed the situation here, taking the plainclothes police officers and putting them in uniforms, but not changing the policy of policing, uh, the aggressive nature of policing Baltimore. But that was after this meeting. So, like, is uh-huh. this like was that, that what that's what I read he, about? Yeah. OK, because uh, like uh, I thought he came off in this meeting where he was like fully committed to doing this right? and, and writing against his department. And then he immediately just sees that he's being undercut from every direction that's the thing like when he gives this speech later um saying what what his reforms are uh i wonder why the show is portraying him so positively because i i read what actually happened here and i don't get the same vibe i get that like he did some almost performative thing here not totally like i get you know getting the dismantling the vcid is probably a big step but also putting these people back out in uniforms can't be the solution. They're clearly bad cops. So like, I don't know the, the show is portraying him in a much more rosy light than I would expect given what I read about the, the solution here. It might come down to just like what he wanted to do versus what he's able to do. Cause again, like it's, let's say sure. like uh, the audio quality of bald move goes to shit. Sometimes it does from time to time. And I go mm-hmm. to you and I'm like, God damn it, Jim, you're the guy at the mixing board you got to fucking fix this. And you're like, okay, what's my budget? And I say zero. Uh huh. Well, then you're going to probably do a bunch of performative stuff. You'll twiddle the dials and you'll change the encoding thing. But the, the problem is, you know, we blown out our mics or we got a capacitor yeah. blown in our compressor or whatever. And like, so it's like, I have, I, I don't know. Like I, I would believe this guy is a performative and I do he's 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 got to be something of a politician to rise that high and to be commissioner for so many different cities but also I feel bad for a guy who mm-hmm. want, like okay I'll roll up my sleeves and do the work if I see everyone at this table is serious oh you're not serious about it okay sleeves are rolling down I'm doing yeah. the bare minimum I'm not going to pit I'm not going to piss off my like and, and plunge the city into even more ca- I don't know like yeah, he should have done more, but everybody at that table should have done more. Everybody at that table should oh, have been sure. a little bit more serious about solving this problem instead of just passing the fucking buck. Mm-hmm. So uh, then we got Detective Sean Souter, who is an interesting guy um, where we I mean, I, again, this feels a lot like uh, like a, another chorus, another another round of the chorus where he's got another murder. There's no ID. He sees an older man kind of staring him down who is not inclined to work with the cops because even though you're a homicide, maybe I can respect that. You used to jump out on corners, didn't you? Uh, and I've been in Baltimore all my life. I, he says, I know. I know. And, you know, because he he knew people been robbed. He's been robbed himself. Yeah. Uh, then there's another interesting scene because uh, I went and rewatched a bunch of episode two because I wanted to really get this thing with Suter and the guy with the Impala. His bow tie partner mm-hmm. um, is they're they're talking about this case and about you know like whether it's a revolver or a guy who picks up a shell, which implies he's a little bit more professional. And he, you know, Suter's like, I'm glad to be working homicide. It feels right. Like when I was back working drugs, it wasn't my finest hour. It's pointless. I saw some things. And his partner just kind of starts side-eyeing him. Yeah. What do you think is that? What do you think that's about? I don't know. I hadn't given it much thought until you mentioned that you thought Suter might have done some things uh, in the past that he would be less than proud of now. Uh, I've kind of been on Suter's side most of the show. But I want to right. be there. There are some, there are some question marks around him. Cause I couldn't tell from his partners. One of his unspoken things like, yeah, we know that the place is shit, but like, what are you going to do? Narc on somebody. You're going to start like, you know, mm-hmm. testifying and that's not cool. Or was it more of like, Oh, do tell, do tell yeah. about the crimes you've committed because I am one of those case stop guys that don't, don't put up with it. Right. Um, 
But I think it's more of the former because like when Suter hastily moved on, like, oh, that was a long time ago, you know, the guy's like, hey, you want another drink? Kind of like, yeah, that's the right response. Now let's just drink to forget. I, I, <laughs> huh? Yeah. Because again, there's like, you have to be a certain type of good cop to be in this system, you know, like you have to look the other way to get anything done. Uh, because if you want to be on homicide and not put out the pasture at Lincoln, Lincoln Park, right? I mean, uh, but then there's that scene where Detective Suter is watching with everybody. Uh, you know, Jenkins and his crew get like you know put away or not put away, but like and you know these charges announced. And uh, George Pelicanos himself comes into the scene and as a as a Baltimore huh. murder police asks Suter. Didn't you know this Jenkins guy? What do you know about this guy? And suddenly he starts acting like he's got a stroke, got to go to the bathroom and he's having a crisis of fucking conscious, like all these events replaying yeah. to his. And my, my question is to what extent as he more involved than we know, because I can see a guy feeling super guilty of being the patsy finding the drugs when it's yes. obvious that Jenkins planted it. And that led to the death of that nice uh, older gentleman. And le- like, mm-hmm. wh- where do you, where do you stand? Do you think that he's a little dirtier than he might've led on and maybe feels bad at like what? And the cop on the spectrum of cop morality that we've seen, where do you think he falls? Oh, I mean, he, he from what I've seen, he definitely falls on the the side of angels here. I think um, he this scene to me is more about him unintentionally have aided having aided uh, Jenkins in the stuff that he now knows he was actually getting up to. Um, mm. I, I think this is like him putting the pieces together of like, oh, these cases where I innocently thought I was doing good police work, uh, I was actually putting away innocent people at the behest of this criminal Jenkins. Uh, so yeah, he was just recontextualizing things that had seemed innocent to him. I just don't know how much, how innocent Wayne felt after that first time he offered him 10 G's. And like, I wonder if he is going to, yeah, I just, I just don't know. I want this guy to be troubled his conscious because he got taken advantage of. Yeah. But I'm worried that maybe he took advantage a little bit. And, you know, I, I also think there's like you can definitely screw up and do things you regret and then redeem yourself mm-hmm. later. I do believe in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would definitely change how I think about uh, poor Detective Suter here a bit. And then we also have the scene of Suter on the street can pondering all this stuff as he sees a cherry metallic Impala being impounded, yeah. being towed away. That guy lost his fucking sweet ride. Don't got anything to his name now. And then him waking up at night not, or maybe not being able to sleep with his wife there in his nice house looking out. And I was sure the Shropshire is going to have one of his guys get his ass. Uh, but he survived. <laughs> he survived the credit sequence. And I, I, yeah. I breathed a sigh of relief. We're just That's, one episode away from the end. Yeah, I do wonder. Like, Because to me, the only thing left, the the only thing interesting is to find out you know, and this is just purely kind of a puerile type of thing. like, you know, how dirty was Suter? And the other thing is how far did this go? And like, are we going to hear some from the top type of like, you know, we don't want to follow this anymore. Kind of like we saw in season one of The Wire where McNulty's crew had developed some stuff on like like pol- city politician corruption and suddenly the investigators like you know what let's just uh, break down the Barksdale investigation. You guys did good. We don't need to take any further than that. All right, well, that will do it for We Own This City slash Taking Back Our Corners this week. Uh, if you want to send us feedback, corners at baldmove.com is where you want to do that. We are a little pressed for time today, so we're not going to consider feedback. Uh, we'll either do that as a separate feedback a show later on, or we will uh, um, you know, just, just save it up for the next podcast. Uh, stay tuned to see which way we decide to juke the feedback stats. Because the boss, we're just up to, there's just, it's, it's ton, tons we we're trying to hire hire new feedback on oh, i can't i can't make a joke about this shit anyway thanks for listening it, i know it's a lot it's a lot for everybody uh but corners at baldmove.com if you got something to say and we'll see you next week until then i'm aaron and i'm jim bye <laughs>